0: Chapter five of A Cabinet Secret by Guy Boothby This Limperbox recording is in the public domain reading by Matt Chapter five You will remember that in the preceding chapter I described to you the conflicting emotions with which I viewed my now famous call at Wiltshire House. Beyond remarking that I was quite at a loss to account for it. And that the passing of time did not throw any further light upon the mystery i need say no more about it there is so much to tell of vital importance that it behoves me to be economical of space needless to say the colonial secretary's disappearance continued to attract its full measure of public opinion despite the endeavours of the police however no clue of any sort could be discovered either as to his present whereabouts or as to the manner of his departure. Enormous rewards were offered, but without success. He was gone, and that was all that could be said about it. Meanwhile, the most alarming telegrams were being received from the front. Day after day, the news of reverses filled the columns of the public press until it began to look as if the prestige of England would be destroyed for ever and a day parliament had by this time assembled and questions innumerable were addressed to the secretary of state for war as to the reasons for the deplorable condition of affairs at the front public opinion was at fever heat and only a small spark was needed to bring about an explosion troops were pouring out of england by every available boat while the Home Defense Force was being increased to its utmost limit. Never since the Crimea had such a state of affairs been known, and never had the resources of the Empire been so severely taxed. Then came the news of the loss of another transport at sea, a catastrophe ascribed to the presence on board of a clockwork, infernal machine. This was followed by the stranding. Of the son of neptune with the thirty-six lancers on board at las palmas by which the horses and men so badly needed at the seat of war were detained on the island inactive until another vessel could be sent from england to pick them up and convey them to their destination by this time everyone save those whom the most visible proof would not convince, had arrived at the conclusion that we were fighting not only our ostensible and declared enemies, the two South African republics, but also another powerful yet mysterious foe, whose machinations were responsible for the disappearance of Waller and the colonial secretary, for the blowing up of the Sultan of Sedang, the destruction of the son of Neptune, and sundry other occurrences so vividly and painfully impressed upon the public mind. Then for upwards of a fortnight a respite was given us, and the British taxpayer was able to take up his paper without finding the news of some new misfortune, for which he would eventually be called upon to pay for both in money and self-esteem, described in its columns. It was fortunate that we could not foretell the even greater troubles that were still in store for us. One memorable Friday morning, exactly a fortnight after my call at Wiltshire House, a rumor ran through the town to the effect that Woolwich Arsenal had been destroyed. Knowing the precautions that were taken at that splendid institution to guard against such a thing, the report was at first discredited it was soon found however to be only too true a terrific explosion had taken place a large number of employees had been killed and wounded while the works then so vitally necessary were placed at a complete standstill the lamentable occurrence was reported to the house by the home secretary that afternoon and as usual the authorities declared there was no clue to guide the police in their search for the author of the dastardly deed. It was in vain that questions were asked in the house, in vain that public orators demanded of the authorities that they should exercise more care in guarding their institutions, in vain that the man in the street forwarded his theories and suggested remedies to the press. England had a mysterious enemy who could think as well as act, and who, when he had finished his work, left no trace behind to lead to his identification. In consequence of the excitement caused by the last disaster, the guards upon all the public buildings were doubled, no precaution was omitted that wisdom could dictate, and then we waited to see where the next blow would fall. In this fashion, another fortnight went by, during which an incident of no small importance occurred. Quite by chance, an explanation was forthcoming as to how the news of the series of disasters that had been our portion in South Africa during the last few weeks reached our shores. It was discovered that the cable, the only one then working, had been cleverly tampered with. The wires milked to use an American expression, and a doctored version sent home for consumption. This was corroborated by the mail reports and dispatches describing the course of events in South Africa. Henceforth the most rigid precautions were taken to guard against a repetition of this practice, and then once more we sat down to wait. I had seen nothing of the Countess for some time. The fright I had received on the last occasion that i had called upon her was still sufficiently impressed upon my memory to make me a little chary of allowing her to obtain so much influence over me as will doubtless be agreed this was a somewhat contradictory decision on my part for in arriving at it i had no excuse to offer save that i entertained for her a mixture of admiration and i might almost say of innate distrust the admiration was easily accounted for the distrust was somewhat more difficult to explain was she not the bosom friend of many of the greatest people in the land she was to be met everywhere and was as well known a personage in london society as royalty itself her father it appeared had left england for the continent and it was doubtful when he would return her cousin was still with her and was to be encountered at every social gathering of importance young handsome and the reported possessor of considerable wealth it was small wonder that he found himself in request when so many young men were absent from england i have stated that i did not care for the young count reifenberg and now i will go even further by saying that the more i saw him the less i liked him at this point in my story it is necessary for me to describe a circumstance which though at the time it puzzled me considerably can now be very easily explained it occurred on a night when the house sat scarcely so late as usual as a matter of fact it was but little after midnight when i set off to walk home for a time after the disappearance of the colonial secretary I had declined to be shadowed by a detective but now hearkening to the voice of prudence i had consented to be shadowed by a detective whenever i took my walk abroad since i am fond of walking particularly at night i am afraid my own particular shadow had rather a hard time of it he never complained however but faithful to his duty kept me continually in view Obtruding himself upon my notice as little as possible. The feeling engendered by the knowledge that a man is continually behind one watching all one does is the reverse of pleasant. However, like everything else in life, one gets used to it, and after a time I took no notice of it. On this particular occasion, the night being so beautiful, the moon was full, I remember I strolled leisurely home my thoughts centered on the debate that had taken place that night there is a solemnity about trafalgar square at midnight particularly when viewed by the light of the moon that is far from being its principal characteristic by day as i passed the spot where i had said good-bye to poor castellan a few weeks before i could not suppress a shudder leaving cockspur street behind me i passed on to piccadilly afterwards proceeding by way of berkeley square to my abode by the time i reached my own door i was in the full enjoyment of the night it seemed a pity to shut oneself up in the house when it was so lovely outside i therefore waited until my faithful follower came up to me and then informed him that i intended going on for a further stroll there is not the least necessity for you to come, I said. You may go home to bed as soon as you like. I think I would prefer to accompany you, sir, the man replied. I am on duty all night, and if anything were to happen to you, it would be my fault. Very well, then, I answered. Come along. So saying, we resumed our walk, with the difference that on this occasion I kept the man beside me. He proved an interesting companion, having seen life under a variety of aspects, and in so doing had naturally come in contact with many strange characters. What was more, he had the faculty of being able to put them before you in a novel and interesting light. He had been three times to America in search of criminals, once to India and once to Australia. By the time I had heard his experiences in the last-named country, we had reached Park Lane and were drawing near Wiltshire House. At the corner we called a halt, while I felt in my pocket for a match for my cigar. We were standing in deep shadow, Wiltshire House being on the further side of the road and in the full light of the moon. Having found a match, I was about to strike it when the figure of a man on the opposite side of the street attracted my attention. The moonlight was so bright that I could see him quite distinctly. He was of the poorest class, evidently a street loafer of the description to be seen any night stretched out on the grass of the park. My astonishment may be imagined, therefore, when I saw him deliberately ascend the three steps leading to the side door of Wiltshire. House. He paused for a moment then the door was softly opened to him and he passed inside scarcely able to believe the evidence of my eyes i turned to the man beside me and inquired if he had noticed it he admitted that he had what does it mean i asked is it a case of burglary do you think it looks like it sir he replied whatever it is he has got a confederate inside "'What do you think had better be done?' I inquired. "'The Countess de Venetza is a personal friend, and I cannot allow her house to be robbed without making an effort to prevent it.' "'We had better call the policeman on the beat,' the man replied. "'After that we can arouse the household. There shouldn't be much difficulty in securing the fellow. "'If you wouldn't mind keeping your eye on that door for a few minutes, sir, I'll go off and find the constable.' I willingly agreed to watch the door, and the detective departed on his errand. In something less than five minutes he returned, bringing two policemen with him. The men had evidently been informed of my identity, for they saluted respectfully, and one of them inquired what I wished done in the matter. I think the better plan would be to call up the house steward and inform him of what we have seen, I replied. You will then be able to search the house and effect the capture of the burglar. Leaving us to guard the door through which the old man had entered, one of the policemen went round to the front of the house. The other ascended the steps and rang the bell. To his first summons there was no response, so he rang again. The bell echoed in the basement of the great house, this time to some purpose. For a few minutes later a shuffling footstep was heard within. Then the key turned in the lock, and the door was opened on the chain to the extent of a few inches. "'Who's there?' asked a man's voice. "'Police,' answered the officer. "'I'm here to warn you that there's a man—has just got into the house. Somebody let him in at this door.' "'Man got into the house?' was the alarmed response. "'You don't mean that, I hope, policeman?' "'I do,' replied the constable. "'You had better let us come in and have a look round. We've been watching the house, and he hasn't come out yet. My mate's round at the front, and there's a detective officer here. Get a candle, and we'll go through the rooms with you.' The thought that he was to be called upon to assist in the arrest of a burglar was too much for the old man he tremblingly invited the officer to lead the way down the stairs to the basement while they were absent we remained at the door expecting every minute to hear the sound of a scuffle from within five minutes or so later they ascended once more and the constable shook his head wherever else he is sir he said, addressing me. He's not down there. The words had scarcely left his lips before the door at the further end of the passage opened, and the countess herself stood before us. Much to my astonishment, I saw that she was in full evening dress. Her appearance was so entirely unexpected that I could only stare at her in surprise. "'What does this mean?' she inquired, with a haughtiness that sat well upon her. "'Why, surely it is Sir George Mandeville. "'What can have happened? "'This is rather a late hour for a call, Sir George.' "'I explained what had occurred, "'told her of the man I had seen enter by the side door, "'and whom I was perfectly certain had not come forth again. "'Then he must be in the house now,' she cried in a voice of alarm. "'Who can it be, and who could possibly have let him in?' Some dishonest member of your household, I replied, it would be as well if you were to find out who that person is. In the meantime, let me beg of you to permit the officers to search the house. To this she willingly assented, at the same time bidding the steward rouse the housekeeper. While the search is proceeding, won't you come to my boudoir, Sir George? she said. I have been sitting there, reading, since I returned from the theatre, and I am quite sure that the wretch, whoever he may be, is not in that part of the building. I followed her to the room in question, which was on the other side of the house, and we were about to enter it when the sound of a footstep upon the stairs attracted my attention, and I looked up to see her cousin, Count Rifenberg, descending towards us. What is the matter? he asked. Why, Sir George Manderville, I did not expect to find you here. I briefly explained the situation to him, whereupon he remarked, with that curious smile upon his face, It seems that you are destined always to prove our benefactor, but while we are talking here, the man may make his escape. I think I will go round with the police and see if I can be of any assistance to them. He left us, and for something like ten minutes the countess and I waited for the sound that was to proclaim the capture of the intruder, but no such good fortune rewarded us. If the man were in the house, and of this I had no doubt, he had managed to conceal himself so effectually that the police could not find him. In the meantime the housekeeper had put in an appearance and was despatched to interrogate the female domestics and discover, if possible, who it was that had opened the door. She returned with the information that she had found all the maidservants in bed and asleep, while the steward was equally certain that none of the men under his charge had anything to do with the occurrence. At last, after searching the house, the police were compelled to confess that they were at a loss to understand what had become of him, But there can be no doubt about his being here," I declared. I distinctly saw him enter. He was an old man, very ragged, with long gray hair, and stooped as he walked. The detective officer who was with me at the time can also corroborate what I say, if necessary." "'That is not necessary, for of course we accept your word,' said Reifenberg, with elaborate politeness. "'The question is—' If, as you say, he entered, where is he now? He cannot have vanished into space, and we have searched every corner without success. Then he must have an accomplice in the house who is hiding him, I returned. If both exits have been guarded, he cannot have got out. By this time I was beginning to wish that I had had nothing to do with the matter. The Countess, however, was profuse in her thanks to me for what she described as a most considerate and friendly act. Seeing that I could be of no further use to her, I apologized for my intrusion and bade them good night. Should we by any chance manage to secure the fellow, I will let you know, said Reifenberg, as we stood together at the front door. I fear, however, we shall not be so fortunate. There was a sneer in his voice, for which I could have kicked him. However, I kept my temper, and murmuring something to the effect that I was glad to have been of service, I took my departure, and the door closed behind me. That was one of the most extraordinary affairs I have ever known, I said to the detective, as we turned our faces homewards. I am quite at a loss to account for it. The detective stopped suddenly, and looked at me. The lady and gentleman are particular friends of yours, sir. I understand, and I don't know in that case whether I ought to tell you what is in my mind, but I fancy I could throw a rather unexpected light upon the affair. Speak out, then, by all means, I answered. What was it you noticed? This, sir, he said, and as he spoke he took from his pocket a small piece of black matter about half the size of a pea he handed it to me and asked if i had seen it before i informed him that i was quite sure i had not it only bears out sir what i was saying as we came down park lane just before we reached wiltshire house if it weren't for little things that they overlook we shouldn't be able to lay our hands on half the criminals we want now, mind you, sir, I don't mean to infer by that that your friend Count Reifenberg is a criminal. Not at all. That would be a very wrong thing to say. He's probably been playing a practical joke, as gentlemen will. The fact, however, remains that he gave himself away with that little lump of black stuff, just as surely as Bill Cooks of the minories did when he gave his sweetheart the silk handkerchief that he picked up in old mrs burgess's bedroom he didn't think it was of any importance but she wore it quarrelled with a girl over it the police came to hear of it and bill was caught so it was just that slip that brought him to the gallows i do not understand you i replied still holding the tiny bit of black stuff in my hand what is the connection between this substance and count Reifenberg? "'It's the key to the whole puzzle, sir,' he said, and took it from me. Turning his face away, he put his hand to his mouth, and, then wheeling round again, parted his lips and showed me his teeth. The eye-tooth on the right-hand side was missing. He put up his hand once more, and, lo, it was restored to its place. "'That's what I mean, sir,' he said. Now I noticed, when the gentleman came downstairs, that one of his eye-teeth were missing. He wanted to make himself look old, I suppose, and when he had taken off the other pieces, had forgotten to remove that one. Then he must have remembered it, for his hand went up to his mouth, and next minute it was on the floor, where I managed to get hold of it. Do you mean to infer that the old man we saw enter the house was the count reifenberg i asked aghast that is my belief sir said the man and i feel certain that if i were allowed to search his bedroom i should find my suspicions corroborated but what possible reason could he have for masquerading as a pauper outcast and who let him in as to his reasons sir i can hazard no sort of guess he continued but it was the lady herself who let him in how on earth do you know that by a process of simple reasoning sir did you happen to notice that when we returned to the hall after our search of the first section of the house the gentleman carried a book in his hand now that you mention the fact i do remember it i answered but what has the book to do with it a great deal he answered you may not be aware of the fact but there's a small sitting-room near that side door a tiny place where the housekeeper does her accounts the book when we first searched the room was lying upon the table may not the housekeeper have been reading it before she went to bed the housekeeper is an englishwoman sir and not very well educated i should call it remarkable if she knew italian and little short of marvellous if she read dante in the original now sir when count reifenberg entered the lady's boudoir he brought that book with him and placed it on one of the tables he wouldn't have done that if it had been the property of the housekeeper would he no sir count reifenberg was out and the young lady who is his cousin I think I understood you to say, sir, sat up for him in order to be near the door. That's the way I read the riddle." "'And I must confess that you have a certain amount of probability on your side,' I answered. At the same time, if I were you, I should say nothing about the discovery. It can serve no good purpose to brood it abroad. Do you think the two policemen noticed anything of the kind?' the detective gave a scornful little laugh (laughs) i don't think you need have much fear on that score sir he answered i doubt very much whether the man who went round with me noticed the book at all his theory was that the fellow we saw enter was one of the servants who had been out late and not a burglar at all by this time we had reached my own residence and i bade the man good-night upon the steps having let myself in I went to my study to deposit some papers I had brought with me from the house, then to my bedroom and to bed. The incident at Wiltshire House annoyed me, if only for the reason that I could not understand it. What could the young Count Reifenberg have been doing, if it were he, as the detective declared, wandering about London in that attire? That in itself was bad enough but it was made much worse by the knowledge that his beautiful cousin had been conniving at his escapade. One thing was quite certain. If I had entertained a dislike for Reifenberg before, it was doubled now. At last, tired by my long day and the events that had concluded it, I fell asleep and did not wake until I opened my eyes to find Williams standing beside my bed. "'overcome with excitement and horror. "'What is the matter, man?' I cried. "'What makes you look like that?' "'There's terrible news, sir,' he faltered. "'There's been a lot lately, but this is the worst of all.' "'What is the matter, man?' I cried for the second time. "'Don't stand there trembling. Tell me what has happened.' "'I scarcely know how to tell you, sir.' He answered his voice almost failing him then give me the paper and let me look for myself i said and took it from him on the page before me in large type was an announcement that made me feel sick and giddy assassination of the prime minister my horror was greater even than williams had been i read the heavy black lines over and over again, as if unable to grasp their meaning. The Prime Minister dead! My old friend and chief murdered! Could it be possible? When I had recovered my composure a little, I took up the paper and tried to read the account there set forth. There had only been time for the insertion of a short paragraph, but its importance was such that it would ring throughout the world. It ran as follows. It is with a sorrow that cannot be expressed in words that we record the fact that the Right Honourable, the Earl of Litford, Secretary of State for Foreign Affairs and Prime Minister of England, was assassinated soon after midnight. The Prime Minister was last seen alive by his private secretary in the study at his residence at Grosvenor Square. He had left the House of Lords early, but with the exception of a slight headache, appeared to be in the best of health and spirits the presumption is that he was stabbed in the back but how the wound was inflicted and by whom are matters which at present cannot be explained i could find no words to express my horror and surprise it was only a few hours since he had congratulated me upon my speech in answer to the accusations of certain members of the little englander party Now England was bereft, by as foul an act as had ever been committed in the annals of crime, of one of her greatest statesmen and one of her noblest sons. Craving further particulars, I dressed with all speed, and then drove to his residence in Grosvenor Square. Leaving my cab, I walked towards the well-known house, before which a large number of people had collected recognizing me, they allowed me to pass, and so I gained the front door of the house. I had so often entered as the friend and colleague of the dead man. I was shown into the morning room, where presently I was joined by the secretary, who, as the newspapers had reported, had been the last to see him before the tragedy took place. "'Tell me about it,' I said, after we had greeted each other. From his narrative, I gathered that the dead man on his return from the house, after spending half an hour with his wife, went to his study. His secretary followed him there to ascertain if he could be of any further assistance to him. He found him seated at the table writing, and was informed by him that he required nothing more, and that it would not be very long before he himself retired to rest. Was the window in the study open? I asked no he answered it was closed and the shutters were barred that was at half-past eleven at half-past twelve wondering why her husband did not come upstairs lady Lydford went in search of him her horror may be pictured when she discovered him seated in his chair quite dead he had been stabbed to the heart from behind And there were no traces of anyone having entered the room? Not one. The police have taken possession of it, but so far they have been unable to discover any trace of the assassin's entry or the means by which he effected his departure. And Lady Lydford, how does she bear up under the blow? So bravely that it makes one's heart ache to see her, Then, at my request, he conducted me upstairs, and I was permitted to gaze upon the face of the dead man. It was as peaceful as in life's serenest moments, calm and dignified, the face of a man who has done his duty to his sovereign and his country, and whose life has been given in her service. Then, with a sorrow in my heart greater than I had known for many years, I looked my last upon the face of the dead and I left the room. When I had sent a message of deepest sympathy to the widow, I bade the secretary good-bye, and left the house. So awestruck was the crowd by the magnitude of the tragedy that scarcely a sound came from it, though, as if in proof of sympathy, here and there a hand was stretched out to me. "'He was a good man, and a proper gentleman,' said a burly costermonger. It's a pity we hadn't more like him. It seemed to me that this homely speech was as fine an eulogium of the dead as could have been spoken by the most cultured tongue. I often wonder now what I should have done had I known the part I had unconsciously played in that terrible drama. At that moment, lying no one knew where, perhaps in the crevice of some paving stone, or carried into the water-table by a passing shower, was a small piece of black wax, which, could it have spoken, would have been able to tell a tale without its equal for treachery and villainy in all the world. How I became aware of this, you will learn as my story progresses. End of Chapter 5